0: Welcome to the Tale of Two Cities, a podcast in which we will be exploring the two groups of thought that have pervaded the mind of the modern era over the last 500 years. In this episode, we will look at the sparks that lit the fire of the Reformation and Renaissance into full flame.
1: So, I was asked, why in the world are you doing this podcast? And I thought that was a good question, and here's a general idea over what we're going to cover. In the first few episodes, we're setting the scene for two main groups of thought. One known as humanism, the other more on a or biblicism kind of spectrum. Humanism rules the world system today, but oftentimes when talking about humanism's issues, we go back 10, 20, 50, or 100 years. But this podcast is here to trace the threat of humanism all the way back, and to show you how history is applicable today. So stay tuned as each episode will get more and more interesting. Some of the things we have for the future include the introduction of the scientific era, the removal of God from the institutions who swore to protect his name, and the true nature of the Revolutionary War, which may really shock you. So let's dive in. To episode Numero Dos. It's now the 1450s, the end of the Middle Ages. The Black Death has just finished, and Wycliffe, who from Episode One we talked about, is both a legend and an enigma among Bible students of his day. While the Medici family is still ruling Florence.
0: Now, let's move our attention into Italy, where we are going to be looking at Girolamo Savonarola, but for today's podcast, we're just going to call him Giro, He was born September 14th, 1452 in Furia, Italy. He was educated by his grandfather, Michele, who was a celebrated doctor of his time. Michele was raised in a strict and religious household, and he brought up Giro in the same and religious ways. Because of Jiro's upbringing, he realized at a young age the corruption in the highest levels of the church and of the government. He believed in the importance of the Bible being the ultimate authority for Christian faith and practice. He emphasized the need for personal piety, which is the quality of being religious, and and for moral reform, calling his students to repent for their sins and turn to God. He also believed in the power of prayer and fasting as a means of spiritual discipline and in the ability to prophesy and speak in tongues. As stated before, at a young age, he realized the corruption in the Catholic Church and in the government. He pushed for its reform. Jero believed that the Church had strayed away from the teaching of the Bible and needed to revert back to simpler times and more strict forms of Christianity. He saw the church's unbiblical teaching as a sign of moral decay and saw it to a threat of all Christian values. Because of this belief, he was a very controversial figure in the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. As we know, somebody's beliefs shape their worldview. So let's get into the worldview of Girolamo Savonarola. He saw the world through the lens of scripture according to himself. He believed that the Bible should be the moral and spiritual guide for all of society. He believed in the destruction of anything secular, whether it be art or even culture. Although a prominent figure in the, rem- in the Renaissance, he had distaste for a good majority of the things that were happening at the time that did not revolve around God or reforming the church. Now let's look into what Giro is most famous for, which is the overthrow of the Medici family. As Giro grew in followers, he also grew in his influence. In 1494, he convinced the people of Florence to expel the Medici family from rule and became the leader of the newly established Republic. Under the leadership of Giro, Florence became a theocratic state, with strict laws governing personal behavior of all the people who lived in it and focused on religious piety. He kicked out one tyrant in his eyes just to become the next in the eyes of the people. On May 23rd, at about 10am, Giro was taken from his place of living and was to be executed by the Floridians. The people who he claimed leadership over hung him and burned him. Most of the crowd watched in enjoyment as they saw a tyrant. Most of the crowd watched in enjoyment as they saw a tyrant die, but some watched in sadness seeing a teacher be murdered.
1: So as we transfer out of Florence and head up north to the Caesar Republic. I'd like to introduce you to a figure named John Huss, who was born in the Suzette Republic around 1370. He was born poor and had a very hard early life, but was enrolled at the University of Prague on 19. He got his master's degree at 22, which was rather late for the time, but still needed nonetheless. Although he was educated late, that did not stop him from a very high level career. In calling in the pastorate. He called for a higher level of morality among the priesthood, as well as calling for the ultimate authority of the Bible rather than tradition or say the Pope. He also claimed that Christ was the true head of the church. Originally, his archbishop, Zubinic, supported him. Just in case you're wondering, archbishop is in the Catholic church, a more ruler of a portion of a city. Typically, there's a pope or an archbishop of a city, some lower level archbishops, then you have the bishop, which is kind of the head of a church. You get to a priest, and it goes from there. But anyway, um, Huss's archbishop, Zimenech, originally supported his proposals in the morality for the priesthood, the authority of the Bible, and Christ as the true head of the church. But later, Zibeneck and even the King Zbaklav IV turned on him, claiming he was a heretic. Interestingly, though, Zibeneck only turned on him when Huss started threatening his indulgences, which was a primary income the high-ranking church officials. And because of this, Huss was accused over and over by the church and excommunicated four times, which... Also, if you're not aware, excommunication is when a church declares that you're an unbeliever and sets you out from that church, which I'm not sure how that happens four times, but the Catholic Church did that to him nonetheless. Oftentimes, his positions were lied about, even though he tried to defend himself through messengers. They were often stopped and abused. This was cancel culture before now. So if you're wondering, cancel culture ain't new. And side note, so often we feel it's worse than it's ever been. But frankly, getting your Twitter feed shut down for two weeks is not true cancel culture like it has been in history. If you look back in history, you see that popular um, reformers have been excommunicated, let out of the church. They've been banished from cities. They've been in prison for their lives. There's, so. That's one thing I'd like to say to all of those who claim that cancel culture is worse than it's ever been before and it's all new, is that it's not. Relax. It's okay. But back to what we were saying. Hes's positions were lied about, and it was only made worse because of radical right-wing reformers, which were much beyond Hess, and lied about the things Hess had said. In order to resolve himself, he accepted an invitation to present the place at the Council of Constance. And the emperor at the time, Emperor Sigismund, guaranteed Huss's safety. However, his promise proved worthless as the emperor himself ended up calling for Huss's death. The reason for this is Huss shot many of the churchmen at the heart by pointing out their sexual, spiritual, and material immorality. In his trial, they told him he could recant or basically request another trial for his death. He couldn't choose the first, so about a month later, he had his fi- final trial taken and he was sentenced to death. When he was urged to deny his faith, he urged the priest to so- show him expository or biblical proof of his wrongs. Although they didn't show him anything, they jeered at him, during which he prayed for-, for forgiveness. And while he was stripped of their symbols of his office, he said that Christ would never take the cup of mercy from him. It was at that point he was burned and died. His last words were, quote, "...in the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the saints and the positions of the holy doctors or doctrines, I am ready to die today." it was only 60 years later, 60 years, when John Huss's work became the founding thoughts for one of the most influential figures in world history. Who is it? Listen to the next episode to find out. Okay, so Mike... Let's get started with what we're starting off today in this season as our more open discussion kind of section. Indeed. So we're going to talk about Huss's beliefs, convictions, responses, and the differences between Hus and Jiro, or whatever his name was. Yeah. So let's start off with, what do you think about
0: Jiro's beliefs? So his beliefs are at the surface, I mean, kind of incomparable to the others, because they sound the same on the surface, but if you really dive deeper, and you really look at, you know, more of him, and as I was kind of going through this and looking on Jiro, um, he sounds like he's one of the other reformers, but if you look more at his story, you realize that, it's really not the same, and you look at some of his teachings, and you realize that doesn't make quite as much sense.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Could you give me an example or two? Just...
0: Uh, yeah, a good example. I'll give you two, because okay. I mentioned one, but I'm gonna give you another one that I didn't mention, which I should have mentioned. Okay. So the first one is the way he went about reforming. Mm -hmm. The way he went about reforming the church is completely different than what we see the other reformers do. You see um, John Huss peacefully reforming the church, right? Yeah, let's talk
1: about that. What's the difference from reforming and revolting? The difference between
0: reforming and revolting? Reforming incites lasting change. Revolting is a violent, short-lived change, I guess you could say
1: that makes sense so revolting is although it seems like a quicker more effective change it actually doesn't change the heart of the issue because you're basically just taking matters into your own hands without asking other people to change is
0: that kind of what you're saying yeah um that's exactly what I am saying and that's exactly what you see happen is Jerro Lama he he kind of revolted against the Medici family in the church right He turned Florence from a generally peaceful, not really, like, horrible, you know, um, city, and he made it into a... Firehouse? um, Yeah, or just an insanely awful place to probably be living, and... Obviously, he had those Christian views, or he claimed he had those Christian views, and that biblical worldview of things, but he clearly... Yep. Didn't understand what a reform is. He That makes he, sense. He was trying to reform a church and ended up becoming a leader of a city by force. <laughs> yeah. And then was forced out of that leadership role. So you see it happen with the revolt. Yep. You know, he takes over the city with a what he called a reformation, but it's more like a revolution. Yep. Right? And then a revolution is against him now and the city goes back to how it normally it yep. was
1: that makes sense if you throw the rulers with a false means of power then you're going to be overthrown with the same means like if you live by the sword you die by the sword that kind of thought exactly which kind of leads to the next section which is the difference in their convictions which you mentioned that um gyro believed that he could receive prophecy a little bit. So I did. Like, he so really, he special revelation, which is definitely different than Hus, which demanded that the Bible was the supreme source of authority. Indeed. Which I think is an interesting opinion. Well, because at the end of the day, it's, yeah. if you trust the Bible then you don't really have anything to stand on because if you, lots of people have said lots of things.
0: Yeah, I think so, so, so i think that it's definitely a crazy thing to say that you can receive prophecy which would be saying that you're adding to the canon of scripture because that's what prophecy was Mm -hmm. and then saying that the bible is completely the authority so you kind of contradict yourself in that in saying you receive prophecy but the bible is also the ultimate authority but by receiving the
1: prophecy Mm -hmm. you're also started doing which is really interesting because he argued that the Bible is the supreme source of authority over tradition the Pope. But at the end of the day, the Pope says he's receiving special revelation. Gyro says he's receiving special revelation, and that's the end, That's the real problem, not the solution to just select someone else's apparent special re- revelation. That's, yeah, which is very interesting because the, let's move on to the next thing. Number three, the responses to the Roman Catholic Church. It seemed completely contrasted. One tried to absolutely revolt, destroy, and rebuild the church. The other tried to not rebel and revolt against the structure, but rather um, apply biblical truth towards it.
0: Yeah. What would you say? I would completely agree with that statement and the comparison of the two. Mm Because... Hus definitely did not overthrow an entire city and become a ruler of an entire city just to be thrown out and killed by the people that he claimed leadership over. He definitely went about it with a more biblical way. Yep. With a gracious way, not violent or inciting violence, which he did against the Medici family. Yeah, he did. Just
1: a little bit. overthrow the city, against guess. Just, just a little, a little bit. bit
0: of yeah, just a little bit. But you see John Huss and he in no way is calling for violence he is in no way you know Mm. trying to overthrow right with his power he's bringing biblical truths calling out the sin of the bishops and of the Pope as well because he's also indulging in that stuff and you see how he's martyred is completely different than how and why uh, Jiro's martyred. It's yes. Hus was martyred because he was giving truth and trying to reform and have heart change. Jero yes. is martyred because he's forcing truth and inciting what would be considered violence against mm-hmm. rulers and the government right first he incites the violence he kicks out a family there, there you right. and he takes over the city and then he's forcing truth but while he's forcing the truth he's trying to plant the seeds but the seeds aren't going to be planted if you're just shoving them into concrete if you, that makes well. sense that makes
1: sense because so, kind of used yeah. to the next thing which is their teachings one emphasized what we would call modern in the modern day legalism while the other was more biblicism I mean, what's the difference and I think that kind of leads to the question what's the true gospel so what not you start I'll finish
0: yeah so I'll just give the uh, so this is my second example of uh, the difference between the two yeah the first question we had this is the second example so he had this kind of legalistic view of and I sort of touched on it. I know, legalistic? Very legalistic, and I touched on <laughs> it, which was um, kind of like getting rid of anything that didn't revolve around God, or... Yeah. Like, he told... Okay, so there's a story. Yep. Not, like, sure how accurate, accurate the story is, but... Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure that it, it's... Uh, based on what he's done, it sounds like it's a pretty accurate story. Yep. And basically, what he does is he has his students, and he tells them to go burn their material objects and stuff like that, kind of like a monkish kind of thing, you know, kind of yep. like um, you don't have any of these things, so you kind of um, are detached from society, kind of type thing. Where, but he's not. He tells his students to burn these objects, right? Like, ah, oh, you don't need those. Burn them, right? They're not sinful objects. They're not you know, stuff like that. They're secular, but they're not sinful objects. It'd be like if he was in my room right now, he'd be telling me to burn down my desk because I have secular books and secular sports things on my desk, right? So, it was... Looking back on it, it's very legalistic, right? When you read it, you you see how legalistic that is because... He was pushing his conviction onto them because if he wants to do that, sure why not, it's a form Mm -hmm. of legalism right but if he wants to live like that, sure why not, he can have that kind of way but this also gets into the bible being the supreme authority right, because now he's pushing his conviction onto other people, which is kind of him telling them, this is, the supreme authority is my word but it's god's word, when it's not so, so, I think that would be what you're talking about, is yeah, that, and ex- that's definitely not biblical to tell people to burn their stuff because it's, like, secular. That makes sense. And, it reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis where he yeah. said that
1: we, or at least I, shall not be able to adore God on the highest occasions if we have no habit of doing so on the lowest at best our faith and reason will tell us that he is adorable, but we shall not have found himself if we have not tasted or seen. And all that he's, C.S. Lewis is trying to say in that comment is that although there are definitely things that you can say help us understand God in a very powerful way, like his word being the foremost of them, um, he created the world to be a display of his glory in which we can actually understand further um, how he's the sum of all glory so i think that's a really interesting element that it doesn't seem like gyro appreciated so in first timothy 6 17 the word of god says that god gives us all things to enjoy quote so that uh, gyro did not appreciate that everything in this world was given for us to enjoy even though there are some things that god has forbidden us to do which might lead us to the next point, which is historical remembrance. How are these two people remembered, and I think it's become increasingly obvious that one is remembered more as a tyrant political revolutionary while the other is much more of a reformer in reform thought. so you have anything you want to say on that?
0: Yeah, more on the how they're remembered. I think you said political revolutionary, I think that's true. I also yep. think you could add tyrant in there
1: as mm-hmm. a sense
0: in the way he kind of controlled those people personal gotcha. behavior kind of um, taking away the rights that we have like you know kind of making them live this way and then yeah. you know that not so much as a reformer but how Huss is remembered as one of the great reformers right one of the great theologians of his time and he, mm-hmm. and you know I think yep. just touching on that.
1: And it was his work, like I meant and hinted at for the last paragraph of the scripted section, is it's his work that led to the Protestant Reformation and the character we'll Indeed. talk about next time. So, that's really helpful. And let's briefly talking about their motives and influence. So, mm. their motives were, even though they claim to have the same motives, their lives seem to show other mm-hmm. um, GR I'll just say, he seemed power hungry. It does Whereas, seem like that. It, well, it really does. I can't judge him, because you, he couldn't just have been misguided. But still, there is definitely an element where he took things into his own hands. And instead of, what makes me really question is, why did he think he was the best ruler out of all the people?
0: Yeah, I think I think that does make sense. He out of what he says, it yep. doesn't seem like he's a power-hungry man, but out of what he does, it definitely shows that, you know. Yep. You can definitely kind of tell that he yeah. wanted everything his way. Yep. And I mean, he says that God's word was the supreme authority, but you look at some of the things he pushes and the teachings he has and you realize, oh, that doesn't add up, or the way he acted, oh, that doesn't really add up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's true. I would completely agree with that.
1: Which has unfortunately led to a relatively negative influence because at the end of the day, people, when they think of him, they don't think of a reformer like they would say John Huss or Wycliffe or Luther or Calvin they think of somebody that tried to take over a city, which would be an interesting comparison because John Calvin was also a, at one time, a, you could say, ruler of a city. But one, he didn't ask for it. And two, um, he was not entirely sure if it was appropriate. So I yeah. think that's two dramatic differences because it's not wrong for... A Christian or a pastor to necessarily have positions of he, power. Like you could go through Scripture and see that that has happened, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. It could be a very good thing. But Gyros' case, he forced his way to power, yeah. and I think where he went wrong.
0: And then he forced his views, and he was trying to plant seeds and grow trees, but it wasn't working out, and he ended up getting <laughs> chopped down. So yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it definitely and
0: I, puts a bad taste in people's mouths for Christianity as well. Like you said, it doesn't have the best influence. Because then they're like, oh, well, this is what Christianity yeah. is. And it's like, I don't know if I like that kind of thing. And obviously, we don't control who's saved and, you know, who, who has salvation and it not. But it definitely does remember. leave a bad taste. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember who
1: this was from. But there was somebody that compared... Um, fruit stapling on a tree to fruit bearing so for illustration's sake let's take two trees one actually bears a lot of fruit which is what a christian is supposed to do Mm -hmm. on the other hand what these kind of situations can do is they can there's this tree and it's like almost as if the ruler staples fruit on the tree when it's not bearing the fruit to begin with which one, can lead people to a false assurance of salvation, and two, um, it's just wrong, because it's not your fruit that's actually being produced on that tree. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about. While government's role is to protect and basically reward what is good, I don't know if it can go anything beyond what is commanded in scripture without being legalistic. Yeah. well at least what is inferred in scripture so yeah is there anything else you want to add or do you want me to wrap up
0: so there is one thing I want to add so towards the end of every episode I do want to start giving one verse and I think today the verse I'm going to be giving is 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 through 20 Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God.
1: As we wrap up, I would like to thank you for joining episode two of The Tale of Two Cities. We'll be trying to publish the third episode in the next week or so. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see what happens. Um, but also, check out our website, Christianandclassical.com. Where you'll find a lot of resources, articles, and other stuff there. And if you can, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends. Indeed. So, sweet. Until next time, Um, We wish you to remember to have the Bible as your supreme authority.